Ciao, ciao, everybody. Hello. I snuck that up on everyone. Nobody knew it was happening. Hello. <laughs> Welcome to Jalo Chow Chow. Um, this is episode number... I'm okay. Creep Creeperson, your host, <laughs> along with the other hosts. <laughs> Did you say 14? Yes. Okay. Episode was 14. I out of line? No, I was like, I completely forgot that I had no idea what episode we were on. Now I'm yeah, going to keep track. You know something's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, I'm Eric. <laughs> <laughs> I 
And this is Chris. Hi. Hi. How's it going? It's going great. Welcome <laughs> to the show tonight. Uh, oh boy. Yeah. Uh, I actually, if you want to hear something really stupid, the other day I was on IMDb and I looked up Greece and I was trying to memorize the guy at the prom who's like, hey, everybody, get your girls, get your girls, and obviously it didn't work, but the guy who was like from the radio station or the TV show that everything he said rhymed and he talked really fast, I can't remember what his fucking name was, but I was trying to learn that little monologue for some reason, it was just something I'm like, hey, I wonder if I could say that super fast, I wonder if I could beat like that guy. It's probably a good monologue to have in your back pocket just yeah. for any situation. You, you know, if you're ever going to an audition for a drama yeah. or a porn, you know, you start with that. Yeah. Yes. Wouldn't that be well, fun talk- if you're watching a porn and this girl's doing a blowjob scene and then she stops <laughs> and starts talking into the penis like that and says that <laughs> whole thing? Um, yeah, it'd be different. <clears throat> this isn't your grandma's shallow show. This is ours, <laughs> and we talk bad. Wow. Okay, so um, that was great. <laughs> you said that as a, as if you're talking about all of us. Oh. Chris and I are very classy. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize. You probably should just stop. The podcast could not get any better than than that. We probably should end it. Thank you, everybody. Good night. (laughs) (laughs) It's like George Costanza. You got to go out on a high note. (laughs) (laughs) No, but um, seriously. um, Yeah. um, Now, not to get into it, but what we were talking about earlier before we went on, um, I think I got some of it in my armpits. And... (laughs) <laughs> There's some weird sensations going on on my body right now, and I'm turning into a freaking like slimy mutant, kind of freaking out okay. a bit. Oh Are my you OCD! This vague on purpose. Oh, no, it's just a long story, and I don't want to get into it. But um, good. yeah. But anyway, so um, this is the show, and tonight we're going to be talking about uh, 1987 Stage Fright, which was Eric's pick. Yeah. What awesome. is that supposed to mean? I totally, no, I for a second there, thought I watched the wrong movie, and we were supposed to do <laughs> for a movie this week. When Chris started going, uh... I was I'm like, oh shit. No, I said, yeah. Oh, I thought you were like, oh. I'm still doing my ridiculous uh, Sunday, Sunday, Sunday voice. I guess I should stop that. I'm the boss, big cost, boss, big cost. What's that from? That thing you do, Tom Hanks. Come on, guys, get with the program here. All right. Um, yeah, sorry. It's, it's getting light. It might have that time. some coffee in my system. So I just realized I'm a little hyper. Um, so um, another thing we're going to do um, today, real quick, is, did anything amazing happen since the last time we talked that we want to share? Um, Steve Perry did his first live performance <laughs> in over 20 years. <laughs> Maybe it's right around 20 years. Wow. From uh, Journey. And it was up here in Minnesota. Well, that's where everything that's happens. That's right. He felt it was best to come out of his reclusive hole and sing some old Journey hits. You know, there are a lot of people from Minnesota who every once in a while come out of their reclusive hole 
Yeah, I mean, that, that's what happens. You get reclusive in uh, some of the weather patterns we have, but... I, I'm trying to, remember, trying to remember the quote from your other show where someone said Brock Lesnar is going to go back to his cabin in the woods and plug Sable a bunch of times. What was the quote? Um... Uh, <laughs> is that... Was that, that you? sounds like a different show. No, that that was on your show on oh. Wrestling with Friends. Was that was that you or one of the other guys? Must have been one of the other guys. I'm not that clever. <laughs> Plugging Sable full of holes to try to make a, um, I don't know. I can't remember. It was really funny, and I laughed really hard when I heard it. I was in the shower when it happened. I remember. Wow. Well, I'd be crazy in the shower. Yeah. So. I- Definitely isolate that that last quote by Eric. <laughs> I'm Sometimes glad I, I don't know what I'm saying. Glad I could please you in the shower. <laughs> That's amazing, um, Chris. Anything amazing happen? Um, no, not in Minnesota no, this I'm, week. I'm so glad that, <laughs> and I too watched the Steve Perry video this morning at work. Um, and sad to say that. Uh, he doesn't sound like he used to sound 20 years ago. Imagine that. Yeah. That, that, yeah. Guy, that guy from, um, where is he from? Chile or, or Antigua or wherever that they picked up uh, to sing for Journey. I think he sounds a lot better than Steve Perry does now. Um, well, there's some high but, notes uh, on Journey, dude. Yeah. Well, I mean, in, in the video, you can tell that they've transposed all the songs down like maybe three steps so that he can hit all the notes but um it was it, it was you know it was a little depressing well but if you just pretend that he hasn't actually sang a single song in 20 years then it was actually kind of impressive <laughs> or if it was karaoke or like maybe right. not even to himself you mean or right yeah he doesn't he didn't sing a single note for 20 years wow and that's what he sounded like when I, when I saw Motley Crue um, a couple years ago, I felt the same way. I was very shocked that people paid money to see Vince Neil sing. <laughs> and I was a huge Motley Crue fan. I was like the guy back in the day. And um, yeah, the rest of the guys were great. And Mick Mars is shockingly still alive. Or was when I saw him. At least. I don't know if he's live anymore, but um, yeah. So that's a strange feeling. Does he look like a catfish still? <laughs> like a mummified one with makeup? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> it was kind of scary, but I love. He definitely, guys. he definitely got all the girls by association when those guys were popular. Because <laughs> he was, he was apparently getting it. Get his, yeah, he was getting as much play as the rest of them, but you know, clearly, Tommy and Vince and uh, Nikki were were attracting the, the women, and he kind of probably just got the shrapnel. And I am so you know. excited that you knew all their names. Oh yeah, y'all! I read the dirt. I know what's up. I went to see them. Um, I think on the uh, whatever the album was where they did smoking in the boys' room. <clears throat> that would be see that a pain, my friend. That's yeah, 1984, yeah, that. 85. Yeah. And uh, la- the band from Japan called Loudness opened up for them. And uh, 
that was a crazy, crazy show. And that I was at the height of their insanity too. That's amazing. I can't really do the math well, but I was. Uh, what did you say? Eighty-five. It's eighty-five. Yeah. Yeah. The first ten years of Motley Crue, I pretty much know on the back of my hand. Um, you go after Doctor Feel, get him. I get shaky. Yeah. So I was twelve. So I probably shouldn't have been there, to be honest. But my dad was was really cool about taking me to concerts and whatnot so I, oh, I thought I, you were going to say something cool like you jumped the fence no <laughs> no he paid no, I don't have any seat I don't have any cool oh. concert stories okay then we won't talk about my November 16th 1992 at the Shrine Auditorium to see Pantera in trouble that'll be a story for another day yes let's save that one in our back pocket yeah good show guys um, yeah, so um, on my end, the only thing I need to talk about is um, Black Star Canyon Season 2 launch party this Sunday. If you type it into Facebook, you'll find it. And you had a question, Chris. No, I said whoop. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, no, it's fine. Um, Black Star Canyon is awesome. I, you have I to need to fix it. my mic. It's clearly not working. Uh. Crickets. Uh, <laughs> okay, let's actually. Oh, we were waiting it. for you to fix your mic. Yeah. Oh, okay. You know, I thought you were gonna do what the girl did at the porn audition with the penis, but um, okay, I guess not. So let's go into the show. Um, we decided, or um, one of us said we should do this thing, and everyone else said okay. <clears throat> We're going to start doing a top three every week, a Jally top three, um, because there is a show I like a lot that used to do a top three that was like my favorite part of the show, and then they stopped doing it. But I Not won't name any names. Won't name any names or say that it rhymes with Bleria Blatinos, maybe. <laughs> but um, yeah, well. Um, so, uh, we decided that we would start a top three, and um, what we're going to do today is our favorite Jallo titles. Not, like, what our favorite movies are, but the ones with the best titles. And, um, and yeah, so, uh, let's go uh, third. Eric, Ooh. what is your number three favorite title all right guys well i'm sorry to uh, take this one away from you but it's going to have to be the house with the laughing windows mm. ah, ah, ah. <laughs> it's, it's just such a pleasant visual there's no number in it but i just really dig this title because of it's it's got kind of a haunting quality to it at first it seems a little silly laughing windows but then um you start thinking about I, I really dig haunted house movies and and uh not sh certain that this one is about a haunted house or not but i just really like that visual right on okay All right yeah nothing do you like that one chris yeah that is a that's cool great title. yeah <laughs> <laughs> well and and you know the thing about that movie is there is you know how we always talk about you know these titles don't mean anything or they're misleading or you know um, but there is a scene in that movie where the title has some 
some connection with what's going on in the story. I don't want to give anything away because it's kind of an, a, a reveal. So, um, but if you haven't seen the movie, you know that it's it's in a, it's a, the title is apropos to um, the story, which is kind of a plus for most of these movies. Yeah, that's why I picked it. <laughs> what's your number, Chris? <laughs> Uh, you know, I have a top four, and I'm, uh, I've got a scratch for anyone, just in case someone took one of these. Um, but I've tried to find some uh, obscure ones, uh, because really, there's a, there's a long list of jolly, jolly. I always get the jolly and the jollo mixed up when we do these podcasts. Um, and there's a few that I haven't seen that have really awesome titles. Um, but for number three, I'm going to go with... The infamous director from Cannibal Holocaust, Rogero Di Donato, or something like that, directed a giallo in the 90s called The Washing Machine. <laughs> okay, so based the on the title machine, alone, that's, that's, that's your pick. Yeah, The Washing Machine <laughs> is like the, is the, the, the main, apparently the main murder method. You know, the killer throws people in the washing machine, and they're and they're okay. discovered in the washing machine. So, I think it's it's one of the best Giallo titles ever because it's it's nothing like any of the other ones. It's just the washing machine. So, yeah, that's that's my number three. <clears throat> definitely can't tell it's a Giallo title. Well, I was gonna say um, the fact that you had to have an extra title in there on the off chance that me and Eric would have picked the washing machine. <laughs> no, that was, that was not the one that I thought someone was going to pick, for sure. But I, I was doing some research, and I, and, I, and I said, you know, I remember seeing a poster in, um, oh, uh, the, guy, the guy that put the book out in the 90s called um, Blood and Black Lace. His name's Adrian Luther Smith, mm-hmm. or Luther Smith. He put out a... Um, a large print book that was a, a giallo kind of compendium um and the and they're in alphabetical order and then towards the end there's a poster for the washing machine i'm like wow that that's different and i've never watched it i think there's a copy of it on one of the um one of the torrent sites that uh that that has lots of giallo um but i've never watched it but it's uh, it's from the 90s it's like 91 or 92 maybe so it's it's. I'm, I'm sure it's as odd. As stupid as it sounds, I'm like really curious to watch it now. Yeah. <laughs> um. It got. It got. You know, for the couple of people who have seen it, I think the. I'm pretty sure that the guy that you guys had on a few episodes ago from Hysteria Lives is that the guy Just, you had on? Yeah. Yeah, I think he's got a review of it on his site. So. Um. And it looks like there's, you know, there, there's a whole bunch of like, you know, you know how he tallies up the number of murders in the, yeah, yeah. So he's got like, there's the stats seem to look pretty good for this one. So I'm gonna check it out. I, I again, I'm not a big fan of things after the '70s, but um, I am definitely gonna look. So my number three is. Your vice is a locked room, and only I have the key. Solid. <laughs> that was my scratch. <clears throat> it's just such a ridiculous title, and um, to think that it's a 
<clears throat> like a loose, loose, loose adaptation of like Edgar Allan Poe stuff. It's just right. even weirder. And there were actually one of the other titles for it is actually another pretty decent title. Um, oh shit, what is it? Like sl- slowly die gently or something like that. I don't know. It's just, it's a fun, ridiculous title. And when I first started getting into these films, that title jumped out at me like a sore thumb. And it's oh, probably yeah. because it has like more letters than you could fit in a tweet. So, um, <laughs> yeah, that was kind of cool. I actually designed the Jaloscore website margins in the style sheets around the title of this particular film because I knew eventually it would be on the site and it would not fit in in the design template <laughs> because it's so long. So I, I designed the whole site with this with this particular film in mind and I haven't added it to the uh, website yet. So clever. But but you guys know that that title came also from another um, Martino film, right? So in um, in The Strange Vice of, of Mrs. Ward, yeah. there is a, uh, a scene where uh, her boyfriend, I think, leaves her some flowers and a note, and in the note it says, your vice, is a lock- your vice is a locked room and only I have the key. Oh my god, I never even put that together. I never noticed that before. Yeah, so I think that's 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 a really cool connection. Yeah, and I was gonna say that this is this is a backup on my list, so I'll I'll scratch it off. But I do like the title a lot. Uh, it's got that weird double meaning, like you were saying. It's kind of like a oh, like a only I have the key. It, it sounds kind of romantic, but at the same it's, time, it's very it's kind of threatening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like if you put a hey bitch in the front of that, it's very threatening, you know. <laughs> <laughs> or like a skull and crossbones next to it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I definitely like that title for that that reason too. So what's your number two, Eric? Number two, mine is going to be phrased in the form of a question. Uh oh. It's what have you done to Solange? It's like the accusatory stance of this. I'm going to ask you, the viewer. You know, it could refer to anyone. It's kind of ambiguous. I just think I just like that that part of it. What have you done to Solange? That is a cool one. Um, for the longest time, I um, never knew how to say that word because I'm a stupid guy from California, and being a I spit on your grave fan, I knew that Camille Keaton was in this other movie with a name I didn't understand. I didn't even know it was an actual name of a person. I thought it might have been like another name for a car or... Oh, um, like a vegetable? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm such an idiot. What do you think, Chris? (laughs) The the fact that you didn't know how to say Solange? Yeah, I'm like, Solange? What the fuck is a Solange? Solange. So but you know what? What's really funny about this whole thing is that Solange has been in the news lately. Beyonce's sister, come on. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's how I knew it. Um, but yeah, no, I um, I I don't think I knew how to pronounce it either. But I got a copy of the film, and then they were saying her name in the film, and then 
uh, years later, um, I'm watching an episode of Yo Gabba Gabba with my son, who was two at the time. And, you know, I don't know if you've watched this. Uh, Creeps maybe have seen it. but I lived um, it. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, you know, they go to um, it, it's uh, the, the music part where they go to the what, what the hell are they call not dancey dance time, but whatever it's called, um, where they bring that little that little video screen and, and an artist comes in and does a song. Yeah, like the Aquabats. And, yeah, yeah. There you go. And so there was one by Solange Knowles, and I'm like, who is this woman? And then I looked it up, and I'm like, oh, okay. I, I had no idea that Beyonce had a sister. And she actually does shit, huh? She does. She. It's not just she beats motherfuckers up in elevators. No, she's got a music career. It's oh, not really wow. that good. She's not well well known, but now she's well known. So that's hot. Good stuff. So yeah, Solange is just permeated through, and, and it's What's all. What's the DJ's to... name on that? DJ Lance Fresh. Oh, DJ Lance Rock. DJ Lance Rock. DJ Lance. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's like a walking dildo with a eyeball. <laughs> And then there's a butt <laughs> plug. All of those little characters look like they're based on sex toys. It cracks me up. Hey, All right. It's not, I'm glad it's we not uh, right. spent some time talking about that title. Chris, what's your number two? Hey, they're just making up for all the wrestling talk. Um, <laughs> so my number two, I hope I don't hear any uhs because uh, this is a great title. And it's a very um, obscure giallo that takes place in Dublin, Ireland. Anyone? Okay, good. It's called The Iguana with uh, the Tongue of Fire. <laughs> <laughs> that was my number five. <laughs> and I haven't seen this film... Uh, what was the first one? Oh, the washing machine. I haven't seen the iguana with the tongue of fire either. Uh, so um, th these two and my number one are all films I haven't seen. So, so this is oh, a productive challenge for you. But it, it's it's you know all of these. Uh, uh, one of the great things, obviously, about you know this title is that it goes with the whole formula of the cat of nine tails and the bird with the crystal plumage and. We've got a, a color and an element uh, and uh, a scientific element and an and a animal, and we throw them all together. And it, it all it, – it's, it's probably like the most ridiculous one. It's got to be. The iguana with the tongue of fire. I can't think of any of them. You know, seven deaths in a cat's eye. There's another one that's ridiculous. Hopefully no one had that on their list. But, uh, um but yeah, like you know, back when I started uh, the whole idea for Jalo Score, it was based on that that ridiculous website where you just hit F5 and it would generate another Jalo movie title for you, um, where they would just take you know letters, numbers, uh, the word death, and animals, and just mash them together and come up with you know another one. We should just make a Jalo called F5. Cut out the middleman. There you go. <laughs> Because that's Brock Lesnar's finishing move. Oh my god, you did it! You brought it back. Look at that. <laughs> <clears throat> okay. Yeah, I have so, not so seen just, Iguana with a Tongue of Fire either. So just as an aside, if I go to the Jalo uh, generator, uh, I get the red stained knife glints menacingly in a woman's hands. 
Awesome. Let's if I hit F5, I get a key of ice in a darkened room. And one more, a gecko on the table at evening. I like the first one best. <laughs> That's awesome. And what site is that again? It's, uh, it, it, the easiest way to get to it is if you Google do-it-yourself Jalo generator, because mm. it's got a very long URL that would be hard to re remember and type in. Death is a broken doll in the web of the spider. Awesome. <laughs> That's the kind of shit that we're looking for here. Um, <clears throat> my number um, dose is a little weird because um, I have a weird thing with it, a history with it. But um, the night Evelyn came out of the grave. Ooh, and nice. that one is because I used to see that um, at the video store a bunch. And I'm like, okay, fine. I just got to watch it. And I watched it thinking it was going to be a horror movie and I was so pissed because it's yeah. not what I thought it was going to be and then the cover art did not lead me to believe that and I haven't watched it since but um, at that moment I was very upset with it but I would like to watch it again I think I'm going to do that this weekend and um, kind of give it a good once over yeah <laughs> I kind of remember. Kind of remember that film being boring, mm -hmm. uh, but you know the cover art is is ridiculous because it's like the, you know the a be, some beheaded uh, girl and a, a, some kind of skeleton holding it or something like that. I think maybe. Yeah, and the skeleton and it, has like long hair and shit. Like it looks like a chick. Yeah. yeah. Good but, stuff. Uh, that film and the other one um, about the Red Queen. Kill um, seven times. Yeah, I think they were both directed by the same guy, and they've got like kind of the same cast. And it all—it almost reminds me of when um, when Mario Bava did that um, film um, with Telly Savalas in it. I don't know if you guys ever saw that. It was like a fucking uh, the one with the two titles in House yeah. of Exorcism or whatever. Right. Yeah. yeah, I watched them both trying to figure out the differences, and I just couldn't handle it, and I fell asleep. <laughs> Which is sad because Elkie Summers was like one of my big crushes for a long time from Shot in the Dark. Yep. Oh my god. Rare, rare. <laughs> what a hottie patati. All right. So, um, what's your number one, Eric? Number one is a doll's head in a silver casket. Nice. <laughs> a university student accused of a series of murders apparently escapes from the police out of a seemingly locked room. His sister is unsatisfied with the official explanation of the mystery. She finds and kills the real criminal, but decides to continue the monstrous crimes herself. Spoiler alert. Well, that's that's my fake giallo. That's the one that I got randomly assigned oh, oh, to me. Oh, nice. So it's probably better than my actual number one, but this is the one that got me into this whole affair in the first place, and it's Don't Torture a Duckling. It's a name that instantly catches your eye, and there's no other movie that comes close to that kind of a title. It's just bizarre and strange, and it does have somewhat of a meaning when you watch it, but um, just out of the blue, it just was something that I just totally caught my caught me off guard i guess you could say and to this day i still enjoy it 
course. So I'm not the biz- I'm not the obscure guy like you guys, but I'm just here to have a good time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that. I, I kind of figured, Eric, that you were gonna um, not go obscure, so that's why I did because I didn't want us to match each other. But yeah, yeah, don't torture a duckling is definitely an interesting title because it's a, it's a Lucio Fulci film. And we kind of talked about this before, even though we haven't covered Don't Torture a Duckling yet, uh, when we were talking about Lizard and Woman's Skin. Um, you know, my, uh, my exposure to Lucio Fulci as a, as a um, earlier horror movie enthusiast in my, in my teenage years was obviously with Zombie, Gates of Hell, The Beyond, The House by the Cemetery, and so on. And so when I heard about this <clears> film, that everyone says, oh, it's Fulci's best film ever, and it's called Don't Torture a Duckling. And it just didn't make any sense. <laughs> Where did that title come from? It's, it's, you know, it's, it's not any of these other films. It's not even, doesn't even bear any resemblance. Um, so that, that's, always, that's always what I remember the most about Don't Torture a Duckling. Is it was all of the talk through the horror community because it was finally getting a release on DVD and I'm like, well, this is weird. You know, what, what kind of a ridiculous yeah. title is this? So I just have never been a big Fulci guy. I like zombie and that's really about it. I'm, I'm not trying to be that guy and I'm sorry, everybody. But, but you like this title though, right? The title's good. The subject okay. matter is something well, we're not, else. We're not here to not talk here about, to talk about that. Matter. You are right. I <laughs> I take back what I said. That Otherwise is I a would've... lovely title. You're such right. a dick. I am. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, um, I, did leave, uh, I did leave a title off of here because I didn't like the movie, so I guess I'm in the same boat. What, what title? Well, it's actually the alternate title to the case of the Bloody Iris. What are those drops of blood doing on Jennifer's body? You need to oh. bite your tongue right now, sir. That's a <laughs> I like the title. I really enjoy it, but I, I didn't put it on my list. Okay, Chris, what is yours? Okay, so my number one Jalo title, based on title alone, again, I have never seen any of these three films, um, is an early, an early, early film from the Jalo. Um, list i'm looking up the year now because i don't have it in front of me like an idiot um just say 1971 it's a 1968 so we know it's you know it's early and the original title in italian i won't say it the italian because it'll sound stupid but the english translation of the original title is naked you die yeah dude (laughs) it's <laughs> the greatest title and seriously if that movie came out three years later it would probably be the greatest movie ever and I've never seen it have you seen it Creed? I have not it has that same like um, beach beach blanket bingo look that yep. um, a lot of those uh, what's that chick's name the blonde chick um, oh the one that's in all those early jolly yeah uh, fucking hell dude the one that Susie? All those Umberto Lenzi Jallos from the Yeah, like <clears throat> you know what I'm talking about. But like they all have that kind of same look and feel. You know what I'm saying? 
but um, that is on my list just because the title is fun as shit. And I, I don't think there is an, um, an English language version of that too. So there's a little bit of a barrier there as well. Well, we'll get to the bottom of that bad boy. Yeah. Did you have any um, others that almost made the list? Uh, well, I had your vice as a locked room as well. Um, because it's, like I said, it's great. It's the longest one ever. Um, there were a few others. Um, trying to think. Uh, the Bloodstained Butterfly, is. I always found that to be um, an interesting title. Well, uh, let me just throw out my number one, and then we can talk about the ones that didn't make it. <clears throat> we all know what it Shocker. is. Shocker. Yeah. What are those? Strip new for your killer. Greatest title ever. It's a command. It's a threat. Two of the words in it, like almost fifty percent of the title, is sexy. It's like, it's awesome. You can't go wrong with a title like that. Just like you naked, really... you die. You know, yeah. that's a pretty fucking good title. <clears throat> but yeah, so strip new for your killer is the best title that ever happened in the history of forever. So, um, now that that's been stated, we could continue. But, like, um, like uh, a dragonfly for each corpse, death yeah, and egg, um, and even Twitch of the Death Nerve, I think, is a great title. But um, those were the ones that almost made my, my wist. But, um, yeah. I had a dragonfly, too, but I haven't seen that... Film. I guess I haven't seen House of the Laughing Windows, but I, I felt bad putting anything at two or one that I hadn't seen. So. And Short Night of Glass Dolls, that's another good one. It's yeah. just, it's weird. I don't get it. You know, when you read it, it's like, what the fuck is that? Um, Short Night. Okay. Yeah, it means not a long one. Right. Yeah, sounds good. Awesome. That went very, swimmingly. Very, <laughs> very, very great segment. I think the reason I think the reason the only reason why it didn't go as swimmingly as you'd like is because it really needs intro music we need a top three intro music get on that Chris I'll I'll see what I can do I'll put something together oh that'd be awesome Um, so if any of the listeners have any top threes they would like us to do um, leave it on the Facebook group or let us know somehow do we want them to give us their top three titles, or do we... Oh, yeah, if you think not uh, even we suck, yeah, let us know. <laughs> Definitely. Tell us what your top three titles are. That was a they good... They could be mine. Idea. That's okay. You could be you Pain, Guns N' Roses, Terminator 2, Judgment Day? Yes. Awesome. As long as we're all on the same page here. I'm glad you always riff on stuff that I say. What are you talking about? I don't rip on everything you say. Not rip, riff. I don't... Like I'll say something and then you'll always find another reference and go off on a tangent about it. Are you trying to say that I go off on a tangent on it? <laughs> okay. Did I say that? Did I? <clears throat> Chris, did I say that? I think Chris did say it. Let's play. I, I, I would. <clears throat> I thought. I thought you were talking about wrestling. <clears throat> <laughs> I just. I just. I just. Say, when I'm not paying attention, I'll just say wrestling. Wrestling. Okay. Okay. That works. <laughs> Um, also, um, another poll we had on the Facebook group. Pegging is the preferred new word, um, as opposed to tuna can. So, okay. um, 
Pegina's more popular than tuna cans. Well, it's had it's had two episodes to thrive. It sure has. <laughs> I understand. Um, and Mustache was the favorite character from last episode. <laughs> so as long as, you know, we're not 12-year-old boys, this is an amazing show. And we're doing a great job. <laughs> <clears throat> so, um, some very legitimate questions. Yeah, and there's going to be more. There's going to be more that are just as legitimate. Dude, I smell like a fucking old woman. I'm freaking out, guys. Like, I'm sorry. In case anyone doesn't know, I have some crap on me that's making me smell fucking weird, and it's making my skin funny, and I'm kind of OCD, and I'm having a hard time not freaking out right now. Well, I'd tell you to take a deep breath, but that might have the wrong reaction. Yeah. So, in case you're wondering what time it was, you could get out your J&B now. And have some scotch while we listen to the trailer of tonight's main feature, Stage Fright, Aquarius, Delirium, and whatever else you would like to call it. That trailer had me riveted. Wow. <laughs> that was surprising that they played the dawn of the age of Aquarius in there. Yes. <laughs> and it's also amazing that you could watch that trailer and not really need to watch the movie because you get to see all the good parts. Isn't that what trailers are for? Well, I think there's a line that you shouldn't oh. cross, but um, I don't know. This movie crossed it and it seemed okay. So, um, Eric, why don't you tell us a little bit about your pick? 
All right, well, as you know, when I picked it, I kind of wanted to stray off the beaten path a little bit. That's just the kind of guy I am. So wanted to go later on into the 80s and found this picture, this feature presentation from uh, Michele Soave. I don't know if that's the right pronunciation of his last name, but uh, he's a protege of Dario Argento, and I really enjoy a lot of his stuff. They're not really... When I first saw his stuff... Um, that he worked on, like the church, it, it didn't strike me as, or when I'd later watched Gialli films, I didn't ever connect the two together. I just knew that they were both Italian, but now watching this film and some of his other stuff, you can kind of see hints of the uh, the old Giallo way of doing things 10 or 20 year, years earlier. So uh, I really, really enjoyed uh, being able to pick this one and, uh, yeah, I guess other people working on this. George Eastman was the writer on this one. And uh, Joe D'Amato was the producer. And those two collaborated often with Eastman acting and writing many of D'Amato's features. And uh, D'Amato is known affectionately as the evil Ed Wood for his <laughs> lackadaisical attitude to his productions. He was more concerned with making money. And uh, he ventured all the way through horror spaghetti westerns exploitative pornography um he has over 200 films to his name so and a fun fact we've seen him previously on the show as the cinematographer to what have you done to solange so it's a little background on this film he's got his fingers in a lot of pies sure does yeah why wouldn't he he's italian okay you guys are very mean to the italians we gotta, gotta <laughs> class this up a little bit. How can I be mean if I've done 14 of these shows about them? Okay, whatever. But, but you guys are sugar. Yeah, they're not doing, doing the score on this one. It's it's not a Morricone or people that we've seen before. It's actually Simon Boswell, who some people, especially fans of Italian music, will know about. He he's collaborated with a lot of major artists, but he's also done uh, his earlier stuff was done on. Uh, these Italian horror films like Phenomena and Demons 2 also did a song for the church. So that's another part of this, I guess. That you're rocking out to right now. Oh, yeah. And I do want to apologize for the music for last week's show. <clears throat> Got a little extreme. It did. I had it cranked way down, and it was still a little <laughs> too much for me. Okay, continue. Yeah, so I don't know. We want to... <clears throat> scratch away at this uh this story here well um yeah sure um chris what did you guys think going into this were you what were you expecting i was expecting a dude in an owl head to fuck some shit up and i was kind of excited (laughs) well i I remember you saying something about you being confused about the different stage frights that are yeah no no no. yeah yeah there's there's some stage frights out there but, um, so, yeah, we don't want to send people to the theater to go watch that uh, the meatloaf crossover. One. Yeah, or the <laughs> the Australian the one with the labia in it, yeah, which no is also one. good. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, this is uh, it um, has a bunch of different titles, but the the right off the bat, as soon as this movie starts the music is so fucking different it's so atmospheric and it's just 
so different than anything that we've seen up till this point. Um, just on a fashion note, <clears throat> because I know that's why everyone listens to this show, I've <laughs> never been a fan of mixing silver shoes with a gold lame skirt. That's just never been one of the things that I do when I go out at night. Um, but Did you those, see that often? Uh, no, not it, hardly as often as one would think um, post-Punky Brewster. But um, those nylons were out of control. So like that, the whole opening scene, This I, I watched it for the third time um, today before the show. And that opening scene you're watching it and you're like, fuck, this looks like a bad Michael Jackson video. Like what's going on? What's happening? And then when you see the owl guy dive through the air and start dancing around, you're like, the first time I saw this, I was like, what the fuck? I'm like, I'm walking away from this right now. That is just too much for me. I can't handle it. And then it keeps panning back and keeps panning back. And then you're like, okay. And it makes sense that it's, uh, theater rehearsal but um man that first couple minutes it was like like watching a bad rip off a little shop of horrors or something it was just yeah but i liked it yeah yeah it was definitely an odd start to a film the cat crying in the night um you don't have the like the uh, the dreamy sequences all the bright colors and everything like that it's just pretty much a black screen with white text on it and then they get into that sexy saxophone solo and that's when you find out it's a stage play and i thought this probably would have been a better chance for the opening credits to kind of play it over this um just because it seemed like a lot of moving around from person to person without really explaining who each person was and stuff like that and um that seemed more like a giallo opening if they would have done it that way yeah the the rock saxophone chick like hands down that tells you exactly yeah it tells you exactly what year this movie was made (laughs) rock saxophone bam i was a fan i still need to make a mix cd of all saxophone solo songs but anyway so yeah peter the director what do we think of this guy his his whole get up his whole outfit is that is that what you dress up as creep when you're directing your films i do not um no bandana around the neck no bandana around the neck and I am a firm believer that white pants again should only be worn before Labor Day but to be honest I don't think they should be worn at all Um, especially baggy pants like that rolled up I remember rolling my pants like that and I couldn't fucking believe seeing another human being with that fucking thing on but the fact that he was all fucking like he had his like super cool vest and all this other shit but he's wearing like fucking bright red converse i was like wow look at that fucking guy he looks like cross between billy zane and fucking dick tremaine from twin peaks it was like it, it was fucking crazy dude i was just like this guy is all that and more that's a funny reference I, I just yeah dick tremaine is is right on fucking yeah isn't his name ian buchanan I, I can't I don't remember know. if that's his real name or not. <laughs> but fucking Dick Tremaine, dude. Good God. It was, oh. Yeah. That's that guy. <laughs> the, another thing about the beginning of this, <clears throat> which is really weird, it sets everyone up as to why they all hate each other. 
and like yeah. like who's screwing who over and then fucking Sting shows up for some reason he knocks <laughs> Sybil up and she's pregnant and he's like the nice boyfriend um, it was just like they had all the stereotypes you know they had everything and everyone at this point in the movie has a motive and the girl who ends up uh, blowing a pickaxe um, I believe she had a cramp shirt on, so I'm going to give her partial credit for being cooler than shit yep. for that. But um, but then she started talking, and that was just <laughs> no bueno for the, me. The token German girl in the... Dude, she was Italian super thing. kraut, you know? Like, she was, like, <laughs> super German girl, dude, totally. Yeah. I had a neighbor that lived across the street from me growing up. I swear to God, it was her spitting fucking image, dude. Um... But yeah, so it's just, it's weird because this movie, because it's one of these that doesn't go with the convention of the mystery of the killer, to set all of the characters up and introduce them all in conflict yeah, was really yep. bizarre to me, especially when you know exactly who the killer's going to be. Yeah, you still had the bloated cast, but they weren't the red herrings of the other films and so you still had to deal with all these different people and keep track of their names and I do have to say creepier on my shit list now because I wrote down in my notes that guy's name as Sting and you totally <laughs> stole that from me so I was finally going to get get one in there but well, well if you're going to if you're going to mess with the desert rose you know you got to fucking show up to <laughs> show up to school a little early but that's right <laughs> I'm sorry, dude. But um, the other thing, too, um, I think every opening title credit sequence should have a shot of a girl shaving her armpit. Yes. Hands down, that was the most ridiculous getting ready moment I've ever seen in a movie. Like, in a montage of people getting ready to go perform. Like, bicking up the armpit, dude. That's how it goes. <laughs> it's gotta be done. There's nothing else that you need to do to get ready. That they could have <laughs> And I really did like that girl's bra, even though it had like the big Nerf balls on the end of them. I think most girls yeah. wear those. Cause... Oh, you mean uh, Tony Basil? Yeah. Ooh, look at you fucking pulling right. out the big guns, dude. And <laughs> as an pump. 80s reference to be, to, yeah. <laughs> That's how we're gonna play this, huh? You're on, dude. I think so. You're we'll on. Let's let's hit it. So, um, so Chris, what what were your thoughts um, in in this first uh, schmegma of happenings right here? Oh my! Oh Jesus, schmegma! Uh, <laughs> well, that word I mean, can also it, be used as a plural, by the way. Really? Without changing so. the spelling? Wow. Yeah, and I, I've never heard anyone say schmegmas. <laughs> right. I don't think there is more than one of them anyway. Yeah. But, um, uh, yeah, so we're talking about, about you know, the, the, what do we call this? The exposition uh, of the film, the, the first, you know, the opening sequence, the character establishment, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you guys hit, hit it on. It, it's, it's interesting that, you know, you're not getting these <clears throat> long or prolonged scenes where, you know, you've got characters with shifty eyes and, you know, or making phone calls to people who you don't know who who's on the other end of the line, or any of this other stuff that you would normally see in a Jalo. 
Um, because again, you know, by the time, um, and, and I have to be honest, I, I don't remember anybody's name in this one except for Sybil, and that's because she was wearing those hot stockings the whole time. Um, I the, the lead character uh, who was in the white wig, and then Allie. She, Allie. So you know, it, it doesn't take long for her to finally uh, escape through the back door. Uh, with the help of the maintenance guy and uh, go over to the psychiatric hospital um, and, and, then, and then basically just kind of setting the whole uh, rest of the, you know, basically setting up the rest of the action for the film Yeah. Um, based on the fact that she went to, to this location. So um, they didn't spend a lot of time on the characters, but they spend enough time. It's it's kind of like, you know, if, you, if uh, I, I hearken, you know, I, I, I like to compare this film more to a slasher than Giallo, uh, but it's it's kind of interesting that there are some some elements that are right under the surface that um, you can see are you know are coming from uh, the, the director because he's been you know just ingrained in this culture of. Of directors who are making jollos or jolly, and um, uh, you know, in, in you know, in the American slashers like a Friday the Thirteenth or uh, anything where you've got like um, a high body count kind of slasher movie, you know, they do try to introduce the characters, but it's obviously more along the lines of um, everybody's, you know, who's who's having sex with who, and then who's the funny guy and who's the the outcast guy, and uh, totally. That, that, and that's typically how they do it in, in the um, the American slashers. But with here, you know, you've got the people that are you know, they're in, they're competing with each other. You've got um, you've got the the one little love interest with the pregnancy thing going on, and you've got you know the the wacky uh, uh, venture capitalist who's in, who's investing in the uh, in the play, um, and you know in. in it's it's just it's just odd um, because and maybe it's odd just because of the the culture it's culture shock to watch this now because of of the the music and and the way people were dressed and everything but it it just seems like um, whatever it was that they were what they were planning for that they thought was going to be this really big amazing fantastic theater of, of, of you know scare you know it's, it's, it's theater of of, um, of of fear or whatever you want to call it uh, it just seemed like they were all kind of like a just a big group of losers really yeah for real <laughs> I, I hate to say it but um, I, no, I, I mean no even says it himself he's like you guys are all here because you guys suck and you guys can't get a job so right. we'll suck it up and fucking do your shit you know didn't he even and say why? that they literally stink not just stink at acting, but he's like, you literally stink. Yep. It's just, it's one of those things, because, like, obviously this guy who made this movie comes from Jalo, you know? And this movie totally seems like it's one of those that were made specifically for the American audience. I don't know enough about the background of it, but um, <clears throat> just there were so many little things that were like we're trying to make this movie to kind of cash in on the slasher boom that was already dying in America at the point anyway but um, 
it, it it was just classier. Like the the way they showed the characters was a more mature, like Agatha Christie slash Murder She Wrote way of showing everyone's conflict. Because usually when you have like a body count movie like this, you're not showing how everyone's a dick. You know, there might be a dick there, but they're all friends. And even right. in a workplace thing, it's like a workplace situation, and they might not all like each other, but, you know, whatever. But this, it was like every single person, like, I have a problem with you, I have a problem with you. This is my problem. I have a problem. Conflict, conflict, conflict. And then, like, oh, my ankle hurts. Boom. What am I going to do? You know? And it's just like, the first thing she did wrong was take off that wig. <laughs> she should have rocked that right. the whole fucking movie, because that was kind of hot and a weird wanting to sleep with a mop kind of thing <laughs> or like a weird Biggie dog hair yeah. yeah i don't know but then like they go to the hospital and like this quack doctor fucking rubs some fucking aloe on her leg and then puts her back in her fucking high heels oh yeah you should be fine walk off you know like that whole bit was just kind of bizarre the whole the and whole the setup to this is yeah very you really have to suspend disbelief. It's a really big stretch. It's um, super atmosphere, though. It is. Like, I mean, it's shot like a fucking 80s music video. Like, everything yeah, about it is right. like music. <laughs> yeah. Walking them past the uh, maniacal murderer down the uh, that wing of the, the hospital seemed kind of odd, but um, to get to the, the doctor that would eventually clear her foot fungus or whatever it was at a psychiatric ward, so... But, yeah, definitely it was all set up for this atmosphere, um, the slasher body count film that we are anticipating is a little off right away because of the different uh, angles and, and the blue lighting that was all over this, this film. And then the music, of course, too. So um, that's... And the crazy all... overacting helps yeah. with the whole shallow thing. Like, they're in the car and she's like, you know what he did to this girl? I told you I didn't want to hear anything about that! Yeah, it's just like, whoa, bitch, calm the fuck down. No stress, you know? And when when she gets back and, and asks the owl guy, was I called? Every name in the book, honey. <laughs> that guy was awesome, though. Yeah, yeah, and that, and and he's a uh, you know he's he's a veteran of these of these movies. He was in um, he was in Gates of Hell. He was Bob, um, the Fulci film, um, who gets his head drilled in eventually at the end of the film. And uh, he was also in um, Cannibal Ferox. He was like the, uh, the one of the bad guys who um, basically you know it, uh, terrorized the uh, the cannibals. And uh, I don't know if you guys have seen. Clearly, uh, clearly, Gates of Hell is an easier film to watch than um, Cannibal Ferox. But Unless you I like forget what his name is. Like John Morgan, I think his name is, or something. But he played Isn't a he completely kind of taking it, taking it really hard in these movies. Yeah, he <laughs> he's in the he's he gets castrated in uh, in yeah. the Cannibal film. So, but yeah, totally different uh, role for him in this one. He took he it pretty hard in this. He did. Yeah. Well, not in that aspect, but yeah. Um. So the whole this is a question I have for, I guess you guys. Um. When you are making a film that is about 
making film or about the theater or about something like this, is this something that's even interesting to you guys who don't do that? Like, is it like, are the characters still relatable and the situations relatable? Um, well, I think I've seen, I wouldn't say enough of these, but I've seen quite a few of these kind of meta films that take place in the theater or in a, in a movie studio where you kind of get this stereotype of what an actor or an actress is like behind the scenes. And so they're not necessarily relatable, but they definitely do have come with these connotations. And uh, like you guys were saying, none of them are very likable at all. And I think that's what especially when they start up screaming. Good God! <laughs> I, I just I always wondered about that, though. Well, I mean, you know, it depends on if it's well done or not. I mean, um, you know, you can look at uh, Argento's opera as kind of a as another version of this, where instead of it being um, something for the something for film or something for the theater it's actual opera but again it's it's a stage you know you've got the you got the film within the film or the play within the play or, or what have you um, so I think it really depends on how they do it and if they do it if they do it well enough so that you know the actors can can play two roles the role of the actor and then the role of the character that they're playing in the film within the film um, so it's really hard to do. I think my favorite, one of my favorite ones of that genre, which isn't a horror movie at all, is a movie called uh, Living in Oblivion with um, Steve Buscemi. Uh, if you haven't seen that, it's unbelievable. It, it's such it's such a fantastic film. It's you know, film within a film kind of movie. It's uh, independent, low budget feature, but uh, Buscemi is like the director, and um, just all kinds of crazy havoc stuff goes on in that film. Um, but yeah, it, it, I, I'm, I can't think of any off the top of my head that didn't do it well. I think whenever, you know, a director or a screenwriter decides to do a, a film within a film kind of thing, uh, it's, it's a big challenge. I mean, and so for stage fright, um, you know, they, I think they did a good job, um, with that. I mean, clearly the you know you're supposed to feel as if the play that they're working on is really hokey and and really silly and you know the victim is going to rape her killer and cow the head and the guy that he, he jumps out but then he does a somersault and they're all dancing around and then the rape scene with the girl that the the Tony Basil girl with the with the with the basketball boobs where they've got her legs sticking up in the air and i mean it's you know and th this is rehearsal you know they're showing they're, they're doing this stuff and, <clears throat> so i think i think the idea was that it really was supposed to be as hokey as you could get yeah. and they all kind they all kind of knew it <clears throat> the director is looking for some sort of an angle uh because he knows it's a hack uh you know it's a hack it's a the whole thing is a hack basically and he's looking for some some sort of sensationalism to get his name out there and to get some recognition to get some some people to the play or to whatever this thing is um, so I think they succeeded in that you know I think everybody in, I think all the characters know that that the actual thing that they're working on is a piece of shit um, <laughs> <laughs> and you could tell and, and so when, when when havoc starts to happen 
and um, the director decides that the you know, in, <laughs> instead of doing the, the right and normal thing, which is, okay, there's a maniac on the loose, let's all go home. He decides, hey, how great would it be if we changed the play? Fuck yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Marketing and, and, starts before the thing comes out. He knew right, what he exactly. was doing. <laughs> so, it's, yeah. So, so I thought, you know, I thought that was, uh, like, again, you, you know, you really have to realize that, that there's, no way in, in hell that this would ever happen and in real life. Directors are really fucking like that, though. You know, like it's the first thing you do when you're out on location somewhere, shooting something or whatever, is you take all the spark plugs out of motherfuckers' cars, so no one could fucking take off. You know, like let's lock the place down. I told everyone we're doing a play about the real murderer now. This is all good. I mean, he did as much of an asshole as he was. He did everything he was supposed to do. That's some legit yeah. shit right there. Right. Which is kind of cool, because I just actually uh, picked up an old uh, William Castle box set today. And he's one of my favorite directors. And he's known, obviously, not for um, playing off of real murders, but just the shenanigans and sensationalism right. uh, behind all of his films. And even when the, the producers said, all right, that's enough. Let's not do this anymore. He still went ahead and would, and would do just little cardboard signs or something like that so i can definitely see that and uh, the italian type of uh, mindset of what their films kind of coming from that they they need that angle they need something to revive this shitty play that they're trying to put on and uh being that all these actors were in the shit as uh, the director peter said to them so he yeah like you said he locks the door has corinne hide the key one of his actresses which was stupid never have done that that was where you could fucking screw the pooch big time so it's it's not as much of a stretch that he would lock the doors like you were saying but it is kind of a stretch that he would give an actress the key (laughs) the funniest thing is she hid it (laughs) in the stage or did it fall out when they were looking through her purse because either way that's a stupid place whether it was in her purse or whatever um exactly where was this supposed to take place? Was it supposed to take place in America? I don't think from it was really I, established. Yeah. From what I understand, you're supposed to get the impression that this is like off-Broadway or something, but can't really tell. Because they, they tried really hard to make this look, like you were saying, in an American Well, they say that the thing. one girl was from Boston. The German chick. Mm, yeah. But okay. I, I liked the cops. Like, I thought that was one of the nice touches that made this more of a jalo than a slasher. You know, because, like, the slasher convention is make sure you're somewhere where there's no way anyone could ever help you. Yeah. Whereas this one right was like, let's have stupid fucking cops not doing their fucking job. <laughs> you know? And they were great. Their fucking shitty-ass dialogue was awesome. And it wasn't... Um, one of the dudes the, yeah the, go, go ahead sorry I, you were going to say uh, the younger guy James in Dean in the top car yeah the James Dean guy that's Michelle Suave so yeah that's the director he he's he cameos everywhere um, so I, it, you guys have seen him he was in Demons he was the guy that was yeah. wearing the, the silver mask that was walking around handing out invitations he was in Fulci's Gates of Hell. He's the guy who's sitting in the car with the girl who coughs up all of her guts. Oh. Um, and he's in Tenebrae. He's the guy driving the motorcycle. 
um, when the when the the girl who's like the daughter of the guy who's running the hotel, she she jumps off the bike and she says "fuck you" or whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah. So he's he's everywhere. And, you know, he's clearly photogenic enough. He does look a little bit like James Dean. So that was almost more of like a resume for him. Like, I look like James Dean, right? Look at me, camera. <laughs> look at me, Hollywood. I'm I'm good looking, right? I could do this. Except he didn't. He seemed kind of like he wasn't giving you the full his full face in that frame. He was kind of like almost well, the rest of his it. face might not be that good. It was just that one right. side that's really. He's great. got a good profile. Yeah. Yeah. So so you like the police? Oh, I thought that characters. was classic. Yeah. I thought it was yeah, great it was... that like they went and got the cops and the cops showed up. That whole bit is not slasher movie. Like and it did the stakeout thing. The, the stakeout thing, but like when they called the cops after the chick got pitch fucked in the face or whatever the fuck you call it um the cop like the next scene there's cops everywhere you know and that that is just i mean i'm sure there are slasher movies that have done that and stuff like that but it's not something you see a lot you know it's usually like lock these fuckers up somewhere far away they can't get help whatever and it just kind of shows the difference in maturity whereas like your slasher movies are for your teens and your jalo is kind of like the same thing as a slasher movie but for like your 20 somethings and 30 somethings you know yeah. what i'm saying like it just shows that sense of maturity i don't know maybe i'm fucking thinking way too much of this but i i appreciated that and her dropping the pink umbrella was a lovely scene yeah. yeah, yeah, I think you definitely enlightened me because I thought that they were more throwaway characters and couldn't really see their purpose here. But uh, yeah, the, for the for the enlightened viewer, alongside all the fun little uh, uh, the effects and stuff like that that they did in the film, uh, the little added touches that they did to kind of separate themselves a little bit from the slashers, that was uh, that wasn't something I thought of. So. I just thought it was a way to get Michelle Suave in the James movie. He's <laughs> yeah. like, someone better notice that I look like James Dean. So I'm going to hold this <laughs> book so you can see the exact cover. Um, right. But the kills are really good, too. That was yeah, a, they were. It, it's the 80s, but I mean, they were great. Didn't hold back. No. no. Kind of all started when Brett, who was the uh, the owl mask wearer in the original play, he kind of bent over, and then there was the the killer standing right behind him in the mirror. He couldn't find his owl costume. I thought that was kind of a, a fun little sequence. Yeah, on IMDb they say that um, that was an homage to the reveal in Tenebrae. Right. The oh, one that he worked on, as we said, worked on. So yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, the the uh, just the whole fact that the killer walked out on stage while everyone was there oh, that was and so stabbed good. that girl, and no one did anything about it. And the director's like, "Kill her, kill her!" That was <laughs> yeah. great, dude. Like, that's oh incredible. my god, that was amazing. <laughs> that was pretty yeah, cool. So somewhat of another stretch, but you can kind of understand this one the the actors are oblivious they think it's part of the the amended script but uh hello 
Hello. I'm here. I'm here. Oh, we lost Eric. We lost Eric. He, um, it says he's still there. Okay, well, nope. He actually left. <laughs> he's coming back. So, um, to not have just a ton of dead air here, um, <clears throat> I did not enjoy Sybil puking. I'm not a Ugh. fan of watching people throw up, no matter how much or how little. Um, I understand I would, she's pregnant. I, I don't need the visual. Right. Well, what about um, in on that Giallo that we covered where the dude gets uh, the French guy just pukes on top of the cop's hat? I mean, that was uh, much better use of I, vomit. I, I can't handle puke at all. Eric, are you back? I'm back. Okay. We were just talking about vomit. Go ahead. Continue. No, it's okay. Yeah, I was just saying that it's, this is when the, the everything goes haywire because the girl that's killed is the one that was in charge of the key. Mm-hmm. So now nobody knows where it is. That right. the storytelling in this movie is really fucking good. Yeah, you know, like like regardless of like what you think of it, the storytelling is really good, and for the most part, the shots are really effective. Like, yeah, agreed. Yeah. What about yeah, the fuck some... Popeye line? What's that? <laughs> fuck Popeye. Yeah. <laughs> That's the best line of the whole fucking movie. Okay, sorry. <laughs> um, but, like, all of the... For me, the death scenes were... They were over the top, but they weren't so gory that, like... I don't, I don't. I'm trying to figure out how to explain this, but like, you get the girl with the thing in her face. You get the guy with the drill through his stomach. The chick gets ripped in half. You know, Peter gets his yeah. head chopped off with an axe. Like th- these are all great scenes and great, and they're shot well. But it's not like. Can you imagine if Fulci was doing this? Like what yeah. we would be seeing, it would be a fucking disaster. Like, uh, no offense or nothing to Fulci lovers out there, but this was just, for as gory as it was, it was very tastefully done. Yeah, it wasn't fake guts spewing against the walls or anything like that. Though the drill through the door was pretty... That was pretty, pretty bad. Gruesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which uh, was preceded by the cool hand punching through the little porthole there and grabbing hold of the guy. And then you knew shit was about to happen hell yeah <laughs> i don't know why the chick was keeping her mouth shut for so long doorknobs turning and she's like yeah. I'm trying to light this cigarette but i'm just gonna keep looking you know is that the one that stands there and screams endlessly no that's sybil freaking oh. god damn it dude they should have fucking love, gave her up a long love time ago scene. I love the scene where she's still screaming and somebody says stop screaming and she's like oh okay yeah <laughs> Well, I was I was Stop calling her Frida the whole film, so I didn't I didn't realize her name was Sybil. I thought she was Frida from that you know that eighty singer. Come on. Wow. I, I, I thought she looked like Sheena Easton, but the blonde version. Okay. I don't know who Frida is. Yeah, I don't think I know who Frida is either. She sings a. I know there's something going on. You have to sing it. You can't just say the title. Oh yeah, I know that one. I know something's going on. Wow. <laughs> I'm farther away than I was before you did that. 
<laughs> um, I don't know. I think um, she's from uh, ABBA. Oh, okay, that's fine. Okay, well, whatever. I, I'm down with some ABBA. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so the first half of this movie is the whole deal where we meet everybody and then the silly idea of the new play and the cat and mouse kind of thing with everybody. Yep. Now, once <clears throat> that whole thing comes to a screeching halt when Peter has the bright idea, let's catch him! Ah, instead of just like opening the door like they were going to do with the crowbar and all that stuff. And it goes awry. Then the movie turns into a completely different movie where the killer is might just be unaware that this girl is still in the building. You know? Yeah. And these the next scenes that come up are beautifully shot and are amazing to look at, but they fucking go on forever. And like the whole bit where she's like staring at him up on the stage, it was cool when he was moving around, but then when he stops moving around, the whole bit where she goes from, okay, I'm standing here now I'm going to crawl under the stage. Now I'm going to try to get the key because again, Eagle eye fucking, Hawkeye chick could see it from a mile away that there's a shiny key on the fucking <laughs> stage. Um, oh, like, come on, he's wearing an owl mask. Well, that was the other thing too. Like his the the mask is like destroying your vision. Yeah. Like she could have <laughs> fucking done all sorts of shit, and he never would have fucking seen her. Because this is one of those situations where you go, just fucking go into a closet. You know, yeah. someone will be there by the morning. Just sleep it off. You'll be fine. You she know? does try but to hide in the shower. And I was just going to say, the shower scene is the best scene in the whole fucking movie. Yeah. That was amazing. Yeah. And that fucking that... stupid bitch was going to totally rat her out. I know she was going to. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but she still kind of felt a sense of, I don't know, like, sympathy towards her because she's getting killed right in front of you and... And there's nothing you can do. You can't scream, obviously. You can't try to run away. You just got to watch her die, which is very haunting and disturbing to me. Totally. Yeah, it was a great scene. And the, the owl mask up on the fucking curtain, that was just, that whole bit, like, from top to bottom was amazing. That was just some good shit right there. Yeah. Um, but even the key on the stage and the cat and the guy in the chair, that was a great shot. There were a lot of great shots here and then this is when it started getting really dreamy when she has the key and she's holding it out like a fucking total lunatic while she's running do you know what i'm talking about when she's running to yeah. the door yes yeah it was just like so over the top and i'm i have a feeling chris is gonna want to talk about this in a minute maybe we should just uh let's wait a second before we jump into that but, like, the whole thing, she's turning the key, like, 20 fucking times and the door doesn't open. You know? And that whole bit, and then the chase of the thing, and all this other shit. And then you think the movie ends. Okay? She chops the fucking cord, killer falls, and might be dead, whatever. And she takes her sweet-ass time getting back down there. And we have your typical slasher jump scare when the killer's not really dead kind of thing. 
Um, and then she lights him on fire with the trash can, which I don't understand why there were trash cans on fire in the first place, unless that was how they used to heat <laughs> studio it was, things. It was it was for um, it was for the uh, effect of the actual, you know, like when they when they opened the movie and they're doing a scene from the play, and it's like out in out in the street in an alleyway, and they've got, you know trash cans burning and people are keeping warm like they do in skid row or whatever yeah and then there they were was just a... they were just really far from the state so i didn't catch the importance yeah, to the, it there was a there was a point at which the the um the maintenance guy was leaving and he's like yeah the fires are still burning in those cans and the director's like yeah i'll take care of it so yeah so I guess it, you know, that that was a little foreshadowing too. Yeah, yeah. Oh well, we we still have the fire thing we can use on the killer. Yeah. So she burns them. Cops show up. She gets out. Whatever. This is one of those times when I wish the movie would have ended. Like, and, well, I thought this was kind of the the biggest callback to a Giallo film. Really, it was this ending because it was almost Argento. Like she goes back and. They talked about the eight bodies that they recovered and she started recalling all those bodies sitting around on those couches around the killer and that's kind of how you knew that this killer was had the uh the background of being an actor he was being very dramatic sitting around all these dead bodies in his throne like chair but uh <laughs> um, right yeah she counts all the bodies and she realizes there should be nine where was the other one well, it was next to the mannequin behind her. Yeah, which is kind of yeah, I, I can agree. It's kind of stupid and well, it's not. And... It was just stupid, but it it was like one of those things where, like, when you give an actor the opportunity to improv lines, is kind of what I'm at least hoping happened here, where Willie just keeps saying the same fucking thing over oh, and over okay. again for like an hour and a fucking half, Ugh. dude. Right in between the eyes. See, just like I told you, the safety was on, but there wasn't a bullet in the chamber. Yeah. Right between the eyes. Right. I agree. It could have ended before that. Yes. Um, and then we have this whole bit where he shoots her. Her watch is fucking broken. She's all sad. Um, Willie is now completely insane. And there's this shitty shot that's not framed well at all of the killer, like, opening his eyes and smiling and going, and then we go to saxophone solo with credits. (laughs) So my my question to you guys is, what do you think this is here? What is your theory on the end here? I I, I, yeah, go ahead. I, I, if you're you're thinking, you know, or hinting at the idea that there's something uh, deep happening, you know, maybe that it's a it's a play within a play within a play, or or something else like it's an April Fool's Day type of movie. Um, I don't know. Uh, I think that it's the obvious answer, which is they needed to put something at the end to start the music off again, and decided to show you a, a flashback from the, the beginning of the movie before they started the roll the credits. That's what I think happened. But, uh, yeah, I, think... I don't know that, but what's, what's the, uh, what, what, what would be the, the idea that it might be something more than that? Well, there's, there's a couple different ways to go. One, 
they gave it to their distributor or whatever and the distributor said the killer has to wake up at the end of the movie so in case this movie does well we could make more that's that's so, what i was gonna go with it but yeah. the shot that the guy when he like opens his eyes and that's <clears throat> noise is made or whatever it's not framed like like the whole movie is set up perfectly and beautifully and all the shots look amazing this shot looks like it was like a like they were rolling the camera on something else and then he's like uh am i done can i get up now you know like it didn't look like it was an actual shot that should have been and then i'm wondering too like doing that whole thing where they go back to the play and then the saxophone would it was that more of the idea behind how they're playing off the fact that he's not dead that it this whole thing is just a big blah 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 but then like maybe willie is a bad shot and didn't hit him and he just fell down and pretended since his face was all fucked up anyway from being you know on fire and shit right no man he got him right between the eyes see i saw it right there (laughs) right between the eyes um i don't know dude like it's just if I, I would like to hope that this was more of a distributor getting in the way of a filmmaker than... Because I know I read that thing where the director was like, oh, it was like my wink to how the killer always has to come back. But if, I think if that was really the case, he would have done that better. Because it's like, if that's going to be your big, your big wink at the end of a movie, why is that like the shittiest looking thing that you have in your film? But if we're thinking about it as something that's maybe this is like a play within a play within a film or something like that, it would make sense with how ridiculous she was when she was running with that key and like turning the lock 80 times and it's still not opening. You know, like it would make all of the things that seemed a little extraordinary like work more and all of the ridiculous like that mental hospital the set of the mental hospital was fucking ridiculous yeah you know but right. that all of that would make sense if that's where it was going but i don't know if it was something because i could see also a studio saying yeah that's too deep this is a slasher movie we're trying to sell it right. to 14 year olds go fuck yourself you know well you could even argue like you were saying with the the kills there was a lot of bright red blood flourishes of red liquid but not a lot of guts not a lot of stuff being spilled out so could have easily been something done on a stage perhaps yeah but then when you have like the outside stuff and all that other shit then it looks like oh yeah how would they do that? So I, I don't know. I was going back and forth, but at the end of the day, I almost feel like this was a movie that should have been amazing and it got tinkered with too much by the time it came out by people who shouldn't have been messing with it. Sure. And I don't, I'm still trying to find out where they got the Aquarius reference from, why they tacked that on there. Was that something that was done for distributing or marketing i'm trying to think if anything else came out around that time that they were trying to cash in on yeah i can't because like i was trying to do some uh 
I don't know, astrology and trying to connect an owl to the Aquarius symbol, and I just couldn't do it. So, mm. yeah, I don't know. I guess the big question is, would we watch the night owl if it was a real play? No. <laughs> no. No. Unless it had more saxophone. Well, I don't know. I mean, here the other thing that I don't really get is the title is Stage Fright colon Aquarius. And I read that and think maybe they were going to do multiple, you know, editions in the Stage Fright series. And Aquarius being the first, isn't that the first astrological sign? So maybe this was going to be the first Stage Fright film and then the next one was going to be the next Zodiac sign. But Is it you know, first? I'm, I don't know if it is or not, to be honest. I think, well... I know it kind of goes, it doesn't go the same. Whatever is January, it's probably not Aquarius. I'm thinking it, it is because yeah, it's the letter A. <laughs> well, January is is Capricorn. Okay. That firsthand. But I don't think that it goes on the same calendar that we go on, the Julian calendar or whatever. I think it goes on its own, and I think Aquarius is like in December or something. So it, it could be the first sign. Well, Pisces is March, and that's always last. Oh, is it? Yeah. The fish. Okay. So we're way off. Yeah. The tuna can. Hmm. <laughs> ends with the tuna can. Um, so all in all, like, what did you guys think of the movie? I'm confused as fuck about the ending, and I think I'm thinking way too much about it. So in general, yeah. what did you guys think about it? I, I I really enjoyed the aesthetic quality of it. I think it did cover up a lot of the, the stretches you had to make with your mind to follow the plot. And even the stretches were kind of fun ones that you could be like, oh, okay, I guess I'd go to a mental hospital if my ankle hurt, if it was the closest hospital. It has hospital <laughs> in the name, so I'm going to go check it out. But it's, yeah, it's just a different... It's just a different plot, a different setting than you're used to, all taking place in one night, which is kind of uh, a cool concept whenever you get to see it in a film. But yeah, it still feels like a jelly with those establishing shots, the point of view shots of the killer. Uh, even the erotic aspects of the play, I thought, lent to the sexiness and trashiness of a jelly film. As you can see, I'm really trying to defend this one being uh, talked about on the show, but... I just really thought the callbacks were cool. Um, but yeah, the suspense in it was kind of herky-jerky. Um, you were talking about when she was underneath the, the stage, and you could tell they were doing that definitely for the suspense effect of, is the killer going to hear her or see her messing with yeah. that key? What's, what's that damn cat Lucifer going to do? You know, and you could tell they were trying to build that up, but then there's also scenes where he just comes in and mows down like two or three people without a lot of build-up to it. So I thought a lot more cool, like you were saying, there were so many cool shots and framing setups in this, and I thought there was also some that they might have missed out on, just with that, that weird mask. They could have done more stuff in the shadows or something, but yeah, it was just, uh, outside of those moments of, of uh, having to suspend the disbelief, uh, I thought it, you know, it took this tired storyline by 1987 and it kind of presented it in a different way, executed it, uh, all those different sequences pretty well, almost more mature, like we were talking about. 
and uh, I've only watched this one time. I would probably watch it more times, but I just mainly understood the uh, technical proficiency of Suave during those climactic scenes. Um, but there were also some throughout the film, um, like the girl in the closet, kind of filming her from above. Just uh, And you could see like the shadows underneath the door and stuff like that. So that was just a lot of stuff. You could tell that even though this was his first time directing a film on his own, he, uh, he really he had knew what he was doing. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, that shot was the only one that had any kind of um, flesh in it for yeah. all those people who like their smutty jally. Um, <laughs> you don't you really get why a she was lot of it. Ball. Yeah, dude. For realsies. Um, but other than that, to the. Uh, <clears throat> I like when you were talking about multiple watchings of this. Like, this movie is fun to watch over and over again, but the suspense scenes when she's, like, walking down corridors and all that shit, like, on repeated viewings, those especially are so tedious. Like, because, like, you know what happens, because you've seen it. So, to watch and sit there and go, dude, this is, she is taking a long fucking time to walk down that hallway. It's like that yes. kind of shit is it makes it kind of eh on repeated yeah. viewings for me but um it's a beautiful that. movie so it's fun to watch over and over again. Yeah, I could, I could see how it doesn't necessarily hold up like maybe a Halloween where you know everything that happens frame by frame in that movie but it's still got tons of suspense and dread in it. And I think with Halloween too the I don't want to say the suspense is more fun but like that's what that movie is, you know? He's chasing uh-huh. Jamie Lee Curtis the whole fucking time, you know? Uh-huh. Like, you know that, and for some reason it doesn't feel the same in this situation. And maybe it's because he might not even know she's there at that point. I don't know. Oh, that's a weird thing to think about. Chris, what do you think? Oh, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna probably... Um... I'm probably going to throw a few things out that may challenge the, the people who like the film. Are you going to um, raspberry and, of this? <laughs> and, you know, right. And this is not to say that I don't like the film because on its own, um, the film is, uh, is, is, is a good film. And like we were talking about the merits of the technical uh, aspects of the, uh, the photography and, and the murder sequences and so on and so forth. But, um, I'd like to kind of talk about how, well, a couple of things. And the, the first one is, I kind of feel like this film is, it's, it reminds me of when, I'm trying to think of the best way. I, I don't want to compare it to, you know, when, when Gus Van Zandt remade Psycho and it was just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to compare it to that per se, but what the thing that I'm getting from this is um, you've got this young guy director who this is his first feature film and he's worked on so many things up until this point and he's been working with Argento and, and who's clearly at this particular point Mario considered Bava. to be legendary. He's worked with Bava and he's worked with Bava's son Lamberto. Um, he worked on opera. He worked on, on Tenebrae. He worked on demons. He worked on the church. Or no, actually, I'm sorry. The church is his. Um, 
and so this is his first film and it's kind of like you know all of the all of all of the guys got together and and, and threw me a bone and let me and let me put one let me put one out and, and, and it's kind of easy because he filmed it in in one location with a, with a cast and the whole idea is okay we're just gonna sit in this one room and deal with um <clears throat> what's happening we're not we don't have big locations to be sh to be shooting in and everything and you know if you if you look at demons which actually came before which is the same idea a whole bunch of people trapped in a movie theater um and if you look at you know it's there, there's a lot of tenebrae in this film which he served as a director or assistant director for um and you know and it's and it's a slasher uh and, and you know so i i don't want to say the movie is a total ripoff but at the same time it it's, it's certainly not original at all. No. And um, it, it definitely it definitely is like almost like a greatest hit of all the things that were happening in Italy in the in the in the in, you know in the in the horror movie scene that he kind of just grabbed a little from everything. And I think that Suave um, made some really great films, and I think Stage Fright is a good film for what it is. But um, you know, I like I think the church is good. I think. Um, the sect is a good film and of course that film with rupert everett is just amazing uh, um the the cemetery man della morte della morte film um if you guys never seen that that that's the film to watch for him um it's 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 probably one of the best um films to come like as as far as quality is concerned and and it being you know rating up at the same kind of level as regular cinema that people would say you know this deserves an award here 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 um that film's great um cemetery man is like the the u.s title uh, but at any rate i i i like the movie um and, but but i really think that um it's just kind of like the the younger brother kind of thing where it's like okay we'll give him a shot now he's He's done a whole bunch of assistant work. He he's put his time in, and he did direct a, f a film called the the Dario Argento's World of Horror, which was a documentary on Argento. That was his first uh, direct director feature, I think. Um, so, you know, that's the first point. So, I think that my opinion of the film has a lot to do with the context of of when it was released. The other thing that, that, that I kind of got into on my site was how it's really strange how often this film is is lumped in with the, the Giallo films. Because um, I, I really, if you look at my site and you look at the scoring criteria, now of course, you know, I'm, I'm the one deciding what the criteria is, so everybody's interpretation of what a Giallo is is gonna be different. But uh, if you look at, the, at my site, um, and I scored the film. I mean, this this film got no, next to nothing. I mean, it got like 20 points. And um, it's so funny how this and none of Michelle Suave's films, besides this one, ever get called a giallo. You don't call the church a giallo or any of these other films that he's made. Um, Lamberto Bava, at the same time, he made Demons and Demons too. Nobody calls those giallos. Now he he did a couple of legitimate giallos. Um, a Blade in the Dark is one, and uh, Delirium is one. Um, but you know, it's really weird that this film seems to constantly get that that tag of this is a giallo, and I think it's basically because it's you know it's a giallo by I, I call it a giallo by association on the website in the write up um, because basically this is you know this is 
a slasher film in the 80s um if you're talking about 80s slasher in america they all kind of owe a debt of gratitude to what the giallo uh, directors were doing um you know 15 years earlier yeah um but what's weird about this one is this one was happening in italy with italian directors and with italian resources um but it was copying the slasher formula more than it was copying the giallo formula and yet it gets labeled as a giallo and again this goes back into that cultural thing where italians will say that anything that's considered to be a thriller gets the label of giallo uh whereas you know we've we've come to know it as a very specific time period of film from italy with murder mysteries and black gloves and um you know an, an amateur detective and that whole thing so um i find it interesting and i i find it um entertaining that we were able to, to cover this film on the on the giallo podcast show when um for the most part it really doesn't follow the formula at all um and it's interesting to kind of take these films and see whether they whether they really hold up to the criteria um and this one like i said i think it it really gets that giallo connection connotations simply because of the company that it keeps with all the other uh you know with all the other people and, and films that it that came before it and and all of the lineage that that uh, this particular crew and cast have you know have been dealing with so and and for some strange reason i got simon boswell in my head as a member of goblin but he obviously isn't um, <laughs> i don't know why i did that because i know that didn't he do didn't he do some of the music for phenomena as well yes i yep. think and I, and yeah, and I, I guess I just think that anything past deep or anything after the first three Argento films is is goblin music, basically. Yeah. Uh, I just I, I, I do that too, though, dude. <laughs> I totally do that too. So yeah, no, it's it's a long-winded response to how I felt about the film, but I do like the film and I like watching it. Um, I don't think it's very original, but that's okay because. Uh, this director went on to kind of redeem himself uh, in spades with the films that he put out after after this one. So, like I said, I think this really was like almost like a, a, a film school experiment that turned into a, you know a major release. So, I'm gonna stick with the idea <clears throat> of the whole thing where I think a slasher movie is made for teenagers and a giallo film is made for adults. And I feel like this movie was made for adults. And that's like, not that I'm saying this is definitely like, like if, if someone were to say like, hey, if I want to know what a giallo is like, what should I watch? Obviously, this is going to be like the last movie I would ever tell anyone to go watch. But um, I I still think it holds up with the certain things. But if I were to classify this right off the bat, I would say it's a slasher movie for sure before I would say it was a giallo. But I understand why it's in that world, I guess. Yeah, to me, it's it's almost like how people will you'll talk about Italian horror or giallo films and they'll kind of lump in Tenebre or um, other Argento films like that, Phenomena. 
and then you start thinking, oh, those are Giallo films because they're Italian. That's kind of the gist I get with this film. Um, I don't know what it means when uh, it gets the majority of votes on our Facebook page. I don't know what other people think about it, but... Right, that's a good point. Yeah. But that, and, no, that's just a cheap plug. But on top of that, too, it's like in, <laughs> in Italy, like, a giallo is anything that is a mystery, horror, suspense, thriller. Yeah. You know, like, their term for it is much more broad than what we consider it. You know what I'm saying? And, like... I mean, if you're if you're if we're gonna compare this to demons, let's say, do you feel that the characters in demons are better than the characters in this? Hmm. That's a good question. Good question. I like, and I don't mean like better, but I just mean like, as far as I guess relatable from an adult standpoint. I have to. I I need to have demons more fresh in my mind to answer that question. But I'm thinking of, you know, the four, you know, kind of plain white-looking people, you know, the younger kids that go to the the movie, and then you've got the guy who clearly brought his two hooker girlfriends to the movie, and then you've got the guy with the the blind guy whose whose daughter starts making out with some guy in the balcony. Um, yeah, it's it's a really good question. I, I, I think they I, I think they kind of exist on the same kind of level for me. Even though, you know, they're clearly more more like um, eclectic group of people for the demons and they, they, they obviously needed more characters for that for that yeah. film than they than they needed for stage fright, so if anything I wish that stage fright had more of a mystery element to it. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I think that would have like really push this up and over for me at least but again looking at it for the period that it was made for i understand why they didn't it, it just it seems like the movie that he was trying to make and the movie that they were trying to sell like might not have been the same thing that i guess that's my my criticism i don't know it would be interesting to see what kind of a movie he would have made in like 1971 or 72 because yeah as as chris was saying as a first film this isn't as impressive as and creep's gonna hate this but like a bird with a crystal plumage for dario argento it's not as it's not i don't know right no (laughs) (laughs) it's not like it's it's groundbreaking like some people say that film is it's it is pretty safe first first film but then uh, yeah once once he got it out of the way, once he realized what he could do, then he did put out some great films, um, like the ones you mentioned. So I do, do agree with you there that it was kind of a safe, safe uh, plot for him. But whether, you know, whether the theories are true that maybe there was some wrangling with the production companies or distributors or something like that, I don't know if we'll ever find out. So, so basically, it's a thing where we think the movie was entertaining to watch, but as far as it being shallow worthy we're on the fence or we just say no <laughs> yeah is that kind of the i don't know if i no, tried to cut into this territory again or not but i just thought it'd be fun to, to discuss it exactly like what we're doing right now no it's it was a good watch and a good discussion for sure yeah, no, I, and I, I think we're on the fence. I, I don't want to say that it's not uh, worthy of, of being included in, in 
and any sort of survey or, or podcast that that centers on Jalo. Um, well, it's too late now. Right, <laughs> we're stuck with it. <laughs> yeah, right, it's over. We're two hours in. Um, but uh, uh, I kind of the the other thing that you have to wonder too is you know in the case where this is his first feature, um, maybe there was a certain amount of pressure from the people that were financing the film. Just like Argento had with Bird with Crystal Plumage. Right. Yeah, like he was maybe, being maybe they, like a dog on that. They wanted they wanted him to make it a certain way and maybe, you know, if we're if we're starting to get deep here, maybe the idea um, of you know the the meta movie or the meta the, the meta production is really kind of uh, a metaphor for what Suave was going through when he was making this film. Uh, dun, you know, because dun, dun. I know Argento did Ferrari. the same. <laughs> and maybe it was his career that opened its eyes at the end of the film. There you go. Uh oh. Figured it out. It. But I think like Argento did the same thing where, where he, you know, he he was he made I think he made opera as a way of of saying you know the the you know the critics are always um, getting on my case about how misogynistic my films are and or, or Tenebrae was another one of those where it was like you know um, Peter Neal in Tenebrae is really um, kind of uh, the alter ego of Argento who in the film is the writer but in real life is a, is a film director or that sort of thing and so, in real life has bodies in his fridge or in, his, or in his washing machine oh shit and we're coming for full circle now <laughs> so the last question we have to answer did Daniel Bryan get his title stripped <laughs> no to be honest dude I'm seriously like freaking out right now with all this shit on my body I'm like fucking losing my mind right now like, right, well, I'm sorry I'm just like I'm having the hardest time sitting still um, but anyway so yeah so that was fucking stage fright um, we hope you enjoyed it. Our our next feature is All the Colors of the Dark. Yay! Oh, Edwidge, you hot, hot bitch. So, um, 70s. And that's Chris's pick, so tell us about it. Uh, All the Colors of the Dark is um, referred to as a giallo fantastique Ooh. because got elements of the supernatural um, embedded within um, and it stars the lovely Edwidge how you say that last name? Fenech Fenech or Fenech I've heard it pronounced I've okay. also heard it pronounced Creeperson um, <laughs> but... <laughs> I should ask her about that <laughs> okay uh, go ahead she uh she stars in the film along with George Hilton, I believe, and uh, our favorite friend, George. Uh, what, what, what's the guy's name? Richard. The old Richard. guy. The dad. Uh, as the uh, guy and, who's and everything. And then also the woman whose face looks like a butthole. Yep. And we have and fucking it. Ivan, fucking Putsky. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, ah! I knew that was coming. Yeah, he's great. He's like one of my favorites. <laughs> he is great. And more importantly, uh, it's a Sergio Martino film, and it's this. What's the second one that 
that it's been covered on the podcast since Torso, right? Um, yeah. And you know, this is nineteen. Uh, this is, I think, this is the one right before Torso. If I'm if I'm remembering it off the top of my head, I I don't have it in front of me. Um, it's definitely a a uh, a deviation from the norm. Um, it's not as as, as much of a deviation as stage fright is from the Jalo standard, but um, it's it's a lot of it's a fun film because it's just really weird and wacky and acid trippy and um, it's got some great great music as well. The music in this is awesome. So, um, and, and which looks amazing in it. She, yeah, she does. So let's, she, just, she got, let's just stick with that. Long hair, long hair which I, I prefer over short hair. I agree. Uh, um, and, but you know the plot basically of the film is that um, actually I don't even remember what what the plot is. Edwidge's character is being stalked by some weird guy, and it turns out that, uh, that she goes to some satanic cult to get rid of these nightmares or something. As you do, you know, like it's <laughs> right. very very standard practice. What is that? Yeah. So, um, but yeah, there's, she looks amazing in it and it's beautifully shot. So I guess we'll talk about it next time. So until then, here is the trailer for, um, all the colors of the dark. And so yeah, ciao, ciao, everyone. You have crossed every barrier to reality. You are beyond its limits and you'll never see it again. They're coming to get you. I'm always certain that someone is after me. Someone from my past. From something that happened in my childhood. Do believe in this sort of thing. All that and much more. They exist. They're coming to get you. They bear the mark of the devil inside them. They're coming to get you.
Constable, take charge of the girl. Are you prepared for the motion picture that proves they're coming to get you from Independent International? You cannot possibly renounce this. Ciao. Ciao.